This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble Union Square, please give a warm welcome to author Alicia Chang, publisher Sarah Jessica Parker, and the host being in Poured Over, Miwa Messer. New York. It's really good to see you guys. We're taping this for Barnes & Noble's podcast, Poured Over. The other thing is, too, if you gave us a question when you registered for this event through Eventbrite, I have it in my hand. Okay? <laughs> if you gave us an index card, I have it in my hand. I'm also the kind of person who does not like to hold audience questions until the end, because that's boring. <laughs> it's not how we do things here, because we're just going to nerd out about books tonight. I'm Miwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and it is my great good pleasure to share a stage tonight with Alicia Chang, who's the author of A Quitter's Paradise. And also her publisher, Sarah Jessica Parker, who is the publisher of SJP Lit. And Alicia's novel is a debut. And I'm going to tell you now, we are going spoiler-free in this conversation because it came out yesterday. And I love this book, and it's very funny. And when you meet Eleanor, you will understand why I'm not going to give anything away. So y'all can enjoy the books that you have because you really should be able to read it without spoilers. Cool? Okay, good. All right. That said, Alicia, I'm going to ask you to set up the story for us. Quitter's Paradise, spoiler-free, and let's start with Eleanor. We have to start with Eleanor. We have to start with our girl, Eleanor. Sure. Um, yeah, A Quitter's Paradise um, starts off with Eleanor Liu, who is a young woman in her mid-20s. Things are not going great for her. She just dropped out of her grad program in neuroscience. Maybe that's great. I don't know. Uh, and her marriage is definitely on the rocks, mm -hmm. falling apart. And when her mother passes away is really, am I spoiling? I'm not spoiling. No, I think when her mother passes away uh, is really when um, she has occasion to kind of confront or be confronted by a lot of what she's been really meticulously avoiding um, mm -hmm. for much of her life. Yeah, and that process of confrontation of grief takes us through her childhood in New Jersey, her family upbringing. It takes us back all the way to her parents' immigration uh, from Taiwan to um, New York. And ultimately, it's an intergenerational book. It's about self and family and everything in between. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask both of you, because Eleanor is one of these characters, right? She is so great, this, this woman. She is a hot mess. Oh, she is messy. The part of me that's Taiwanese-American is very excited to have the representation, okay? Just straight up, it's nice to have the representation. Science was not my bag. This is how I ended up being a bookseller. Here we are. But, Alicia and SJ, what was it about Eleanor that made you say, like for you, obviously, you're talking about the creation of a character, right? But you're gonna bring this character to the world. So how do we do that? How does it start? What was the thing about Eleanor that made you go, oh yeah, this is it, this is the voice? I'll share with you. I think it's important for Alicia to share how Eleanor confounded you. And mm -hmm. I think when you explain how she eluded you at times, I'll share with you why I love her so much. 
<laughs> and that doesn't, that's not a spoiler either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. Eleanor was, you know, the first voice that really came to me as I was writing this book. Mm -hmm. um, she was, um, as SJ has put it, very elusive and very slippery as a character. It was really hard for me to get her right. And I couldn't really understand why exactly as compared to all the other characters, which sort of were flowing and, and kind of a, a normal um, progression of writing. Mm -hmm. And I think over time I came to understand that this was the crux of Eleanor's personality and identity, was that she was really wily and very capable of deceiving herself, deceiving others um, in a way to guard herself and protect herself. That really, I mean, to answer your question, mm -hmm. I think that part of her really drew me to ask more about this character because she was so, she presented a kind of puzzle, I think, that was really just like pleasurable to write and satisfying to keep um, searching for. And I think as a reader, because that's how I feel as a publisher, is that I am first just a super greedy reader. And so what's interesting, what's compelling to me about Eleanor is, first of all, this, in, this um, internal monologue that is shared or hinted at. And because we have such a gifted writer in Alicia, even though she is slippery, and even though she is withholding, the, in fact, to the very people that she loves and wants to try to communicate and asks herself why she doesn't, we are not distanced from her, and I think that's a very tricky thing to do, to try mm -hmm. to describe somebody who is far away sometimes from herself and those she loves, and yet the reader can be with her and care about her. She's deeply funny. She's compassionate. She's surprisingly compassionate. She has great curiosity about who she is. I will say that the mother who Alicia just mentioned briefly is is also a beautifully illustrated character. She's so interesting. And because um, Eleanor is asking these questions, the author forces us happily into this inter intergenerational story, which mm -hmm. is such an interesting, important story and is a story that is not unique. But it's not it's not been told this way because mm -hmm of this writer. And I think Eleanor is just a beautifully drawn character that brings us in and pushes us away at the right time. It's a real beautiful dance for the between this author and, and a reader. Eleanor is wonderfully surprising. Mm -hmm. Just when you think she's going to zig, she zags. <laughs> and I have to be very careful because I almost said something that was going to get me in trouble. So with myself, mind you, I'm the one who said, can we please do this spoiler free? Alicia, would you? talk about Eleanor in the context of her sister and her husband, her parents. We're going to put Eleanor's parents off to the side for just a second, right? But you give her a really interesting sister. And yeah, her husband is, he really means well. He's a good guy. He's a really good guy. And she is just so lost in her own grief and some other stuff that She's not all there for him either, but I think those relationships were two of the freshest moments for me as a reader, especially because we are talking about a very classic sort of coming-of-age story, right? Like, a coming-of-age story isn't limited to a 16-year-old learning how to drive, right? Like, if you're lucky, you get to come-of-age at some point in your life. 
I think we've all met folks in our lives who maybe haven't done that yet. But can we talk about that in the context of her, basically her peers? I'm asking you yeah. about Eleanor's peers. Yeah, um, I love that question because so much of the narrative is centered around her, her parents and their past and history. Mm -hmm. But I think because it's narrated, parts of it are narrated from Eleanor's perspective, her first mm -hmm. person perspective, which kind of gives us that closeness to her. There is something about the way we see her interact with her peers exactly. People she loves mm -hmm. or is purported to love. <laughs> um, and people who love her in return. And how she kind of, how she not only reveals to us uh, information about how she feels about them and then um, kind of triangulating that with what she ultimately does to them or says to them. Um, I think for a reader to see the difference between those two things really tells us a lot about who she is and also who those characters are. Mm -hmm. I think it actually reveals a lot despite being in her own perspective. Right, okay. So I know both of you have talked about Eleanor being slippery, mm -hmm. but we had a couple of folks in the audience who were asking what the biggest challenge was for you writing this book. And somehow I don't think Eleanor was the biggest challenge. <laughs> I think there's something else there and I just, I, I'm curious too. I will say, I think the biggest challenge for me, I, I, Eleanor was very challenging actually. Mm -hmm, she mm -hmm. was, you know, at once very close to me and also very different from me. And so writing things that at times were, you know, something that I would do would absolutely lead me astray um, because I had to keep in mind that she was not me. And over time that became more and more clear. But I think another difficult part of it for sure was knowing when to move away from her um, and kind of shining a light on something that she would never ask you to do, that right. she would be actively trying to avoid. Um, so essentially when to kind of listen to her mm -hmm. and when to kind of move away and find other ways to understand a broader narrative about her family, about um, the context of, of how they lived and, and how they came to the States, but also just to, to her. SJ, do you have a favorite character besides Eleanor? I mean, I, we are all team Eleanor, I think we're clear on that, but do you have a favorite character besides her? Well, I've, I've shared this mm -hmm. with Alicia, but I, I, I really love her mother, Rita, yeah. which is the name she chooses mm -hmm. to use yep. when she comes to this country. I also do want to share that Alicia does this very clever thing in the book where, I don't think I'm wrong about this, there are things that Eleanor doesn't know and sometimes we're clear she will never know and sometimes we're not certain that this is information that will ever make its way back to her. And it's just important because, you know, family informs so much mm -hmm. of who we are, and it's not always the things that are shared with us. It's not the stories always. Sometimes it's just simply within us, or it's been a culture in which we live, and that means like literally inside your home. So I just think it's it's a really interesting way of learning more about Eleanor, but also equally important, equally importantly, is learning about her family because they play such an active role even when they are not on the page. As a reader, it's a really really interesting thing to learn about this family. I really love Rita and first of all the exchanges are so great. Mm -hmm. They're so funny. They're so touching. They're so upsetting. They're sad. They're wry. They're mean. They're translated so they're it's 
it's especially special. Her story, I just, I kept saying it to you, I'm so touched by what I learned about her life before she came to yeah. this country. And it's told not academically, but there is history there, mm -hmm, real history. Mm -hmm. But it's so, it gets so small about a house, a road, a well, a cigarette, a suit, a smell. It's just so rich. And she brings that with her and I just, I love it, and all the hopes she has for Eleanor and the ways in which she conveys what she deter what she sees as shortcomings mm -hmm. or bad omens, or even just the way she sort of gives these really grisly predictions <laughs> about Eleanor's future. You're just like, but it's so touching and funny. So I love Rita. I love her. It's also kind of how you know that your Asian mama is really trying to make a point because she'll say a really gross thing and you're like, oh, you do love me. Okay. Yeah. It's, and I say that as someone who's love. very, very fond of her Asian mama. <laughs> um, my mother's awesome. But you said something earlier, Sarah, and I, I would love to get both of you riffing on this because one of the things that I love is all of the sort of classic elements of a family story that you turn on its ear. And Sarah, you also published the Fatima Farheen Mirza novel that I loved, and I have to look at the title, I always get the title wrong, which a is place. horrifying. Place for Us, yeah. which if you haven't read, I'm please go read it. It's it is so satisfying. It sits really beautifully with this book. Yes. But these family stories, right? We never get tired of family stories. And okay, right, there is that line, all happy families are the same, right? Okay. Right. But we never get tired. And I'm wondering, is it the universality? Is it the, you get to point at someone else's story and say, well, at least that's not me. I mean, what is it? <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, what is it about these family stories that keeps us coming back over and over and over again? I mean, for me, I love a family story mm -hmm. as well. So this certainly pertains <laughs> to my reading tastes. Every family is such a unique culture. And as you read the book or any story about a family, you kind of can peel away all the, the sort of stereotypes and monikers and ideas of, oh, this, this type of like ethnic background or, or kind of even time frame or, or, or class um, situation and really see when it's told well the culture that the parents created and the culture that the children created and and how that ties into mm -hmm. dynamics of power, yeah. how that ties into what justice looks like in the family mm -hmm. and who's allowed to speak and who's allowed to set the rules. And all of that is so particular to one family that I think it's really easy to read them over and over again because they really are so mm -hmm. diverse and so different. And I think the thing that I always like about these two books in particular mm -hmm. is that, and other family stories, is when they actually feel unfamiliar to me. Right. That's what I really like. Right. And, you know, Alicia and Fatima take us so beautifully inside a family that just simply isn't my own for mm -hmm. a, a variety of reasons. And it's not just curiosity, it's a real interest in how other people live and also how it shapes children and how children love and struggle against love and how the love binds you and how you have to fight to be an independent person and when you toss in culture and religion and faith and ideology and politics and home far away and 
expectations. Mm -hmm. It just keeps getting more and more interesting. And right. so then, but then within all that is this very unique family that is maybe shaped by, for instance, a new town in New Jersey or the people that they meet or what mm -hmm. their house looks like or how much money they have or what do they smell like or what do they eat and how does that affect them at school? Like there's just always such interesting layers to families and yes, we know where we are. Most of us, not all of us, are part of a family or a family that we make or was created somehow, but the difference is mm -hmm. what I'm really interested in. Part of that, I'm wondering too, when, when the two of you are reading, right, just as, just enjoying the act of reading, right, enjoying a great book, what are you reading for first? Are you reading for character? Are you reading for story? Are you reading for language? Are you reading for voice? I mean, what's the thing that makes you say, oh yeah, this is the one for me? I feel like first I read for language mm -hmm. and tied in with that is voice, yeah. for sure. You know, when I, when I start a book, first chapter, I, I really want to feel like I'm hearing the author, mm -hmm, even mm -hmm. though, you know, we talk a lot about how it's not necessarily the author's book, it's the character's books, but I do want to, I do want to hear that it's being written by someone who right. knows their voice and knows uh, that they're in control of the atmosphere of the book. And I like books that, that are wry and make me laugh within the first couple of pages. <laughs> I think I, I sound like I'm really being repetitive, but I really like to be away yeah. I like to be transported. It, I can be transported in this, into this country, mm -hmm. someplace yeah, yeah. different. I like often global voices. Mm -hmm. I like authors that take me to places that I will likely never get to go. And right. sometimes that's inside their home or a home that they've created with their mm -hmm. imagination and their own lived experiences. So, And that's what's, I think, once again, really special about Alicia's book is that she does transport us to other places outside this home mm -hmm. of ours, this country, but she's primarily inside a home. The home has played such a big part in Eleanor's life, even when she's not in it. She keeps being drawn back to this home, this home, and there's so many questions that I think she's waiting to have answered right. in the home. I think that's what I really like as a reader is take me away. Not that I'm miserable in my life at all. Um, I just like to, if I don't have a chance to travel the world and meet everybody and see into windows uninvited, this is the best way. That's what a book does. Yeah, yeah a book just takes you there. I think there's so a good many. Book. Yeah, no, a good book, absolutely. There's so many people who think of reading as a solitary act, right? Because you're, it's you holding a thing, right? Whether it's a physical book or a device or whatnot. And the reality is reading is an act of communion. I am not the only person in this room who talks about fictional characters like they're real. <laughs> I can't, no, you I can't refuse. I, I just refuse. Not, I, I know sure who I'm you. sharing a stage with. I do want to talk about some style choices you made switching between the first person and the third person, because I quite liked it. Sometimes people find it a little jarring. I liked what you were doing, and I think I know why you were doing it, but can we talk about those choices for a second? Because you could have made it a little easier on yourself. <laughs> Just saying. Could have made it a little easier. But it's, it's a really good, smart choice, and uh, slippery characters aside. <laughs> there were many afternoons of kind of like very chaotic cutting with scissors, rearranging <laughs> on the floor. No one needed to mm -hmm. see that. Um, 
you know, so I, I mentioned I started with Eleanor um, and felt, you know, at once close and also sort of distant from her. And when I realized that she was this character who was withholding and who mm -hmm. would not really give access, not just to the reader, but even to me, her author, I kind of began looking elsewhere, uh, of course, and one place I understood that I needed access to and I needed to fully comprehend was certainly her family life, even the parts of her family life that she never saw, never had access to, um, was never told about, or maybe was and forgot or misinterpreted, mm -hmm. you know, was told in another language, mm -hmm. was told from someone who has a lot of regrets, right? There's so many ways that we receive information about um, not just our parents, but anyone that we're close to. You know, it's always mediated by their feelings on the matter. So I, for me, the third person leaves this question open of, you know, who really has this information um, about Eleanor's family? Mm -hmm. Who is telling us this information? Does Eleanor know what it is? Is she the one sharing it? Is she inventing it? Um, I think third-person narratives always leave that open, right. um, and, and I think the juxtaposition with the first mm -hmm. person certainly helps kind of clarify that that's what's going on. I want to change gears just a tiny bit, because okay. I realized we have lots and lots of questions about getting published and being at the start of your career. So confession, before I did this, I was the director of the Discover Great New Writers program here at BNN, so I have a visceral interest in... <laughs> developing new talent. So actually, I'm curious to see what how you respond, Alicia, to some of this. As a writer, do you follow a routine? What is your favorite place to write? Oh, wow. Um, I do not have a routine, and I would not tell anyone to follow what I do. Um, it's very chaotic. I think any person who, you know, works regularly would be horrified by my, uh, my work situation. Um, <laughs> I think I just do what I feel, which is good or bad. You know, some days I feel like writing with pen and paper. Other days I feel like I really just need to write quickly and type and, and be able to erase quickly. And there are definitely days when I force myself to sit down and just write anything. I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of, you know, letting the faucet run. So there is that. Um, and I take really long breaks of doing absolutely nothing or doing painfully dull, household tasks, watching bad TV. I do all of it. Um, I think it's important to let the brain kind of ferment. Mm -hmm. So those are my processes. So what resources or habits do you recommend for beginning writers looking to hone their craft? Are there some books we can turn people on to, some resources? Ooh, I would just read anything. Mm. I would read books that yeah. you think are bad, like a ch first chapter and you think it's bad, Find out why it's bad at the mm -hmm. end. Read the whole thing. Read a book that you think is amazing, obviously, and always, I think if you're beginning, um, always try to finish mm -hmm. the books right. um, and know how it gets, how it ends, whether it ends well, whether it ends poorly. Um, it's, I think reading anything is the case for that. Graphic novels, like whatever. Um, I think it all really helps. Um, SJ, we have a question for you. I followed your love of books and reading. Would you touch on what led you to the world of publishing? Good fortune, mm -hmm. um, a lucky encounter. I was invited to, I'll try to do this very quickly, I was invited to a lunch. I was told it was an intimate lunch mm -hmm. and I grabbed a cab, threw on a dress, went, maybe covered a zit, like no, no presentational effort. 
And then I got to where this intimate lunch was and there was a crowd of people outside and paparazzi and I was like, this doesn't look intimate at all. <laughs> and, um, but there I was and so I went to the lunch and it was a really nice invitation and at the end of this lunch, which was, I would say, a hundred people, all women, all very like powerful women, you know, like one of those, you know, you go to them all the time. And um, I don't. And um, at the end of the lunch, um, this very nice person came and introduced herself, and she said her name was Molly Stern. Mm -hmm. And I had been photographed, I guess, walking around carrying a copy of the then just published um, Gone Girl. And so she introduced herself and said she published Gone Girl <laughs> and was in fact with the writer, <laughs> Gillian Flynn, like right there, which was a thrill. And we quickly started talking about books. And I don't know how it be the, the conversation turned toward this, but I started talking about some books that I was hoping to find. And I always scrounge around trying to find books that are published in Europe and all over the globe before mm -hmm. they get here and try to get a translation. Or And I mentioned a book that I was trying to get my hands on. I'd called bookstores pretending to work for magazines <laughs> and, um, and it was a book called um, The Dinner by Herman Koch and it had been getting a lot of attention overseas and she said that's my book I'm publishing that book and I said oh my gosh she said I'll send it to you and so I sent she gave me her card and I emailed her and I said here's my address mm -hmm. and very soon after that she sent like a parcel of books and it was a nice healthy stack of books and in among these books was of course The Dinner Mm -hmm. But there was this other book tucked in, and it was called A Constellation of Vital Phenomenon by Anthony Mara. Mm -hmm. And that is the book I reached for first. Yep. I have no idea why, after begging for the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and I started reading this book, and I was, I'm going to say 40 pages in, and I was gobsmacked. Uh -huh. I had never read a book like this. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to Molly, and I said, forgive me, this is really presumptuous, and I don't know that there's anything I can do, but you have this beautiful book in your hands and it's about Chechnya mm -hmm. before, after, during a war and I don't know how you're going to talk about it but because mm -hmm. that's a complicated thing to market and I said if there's anything I can do to help just mm -hmm. get this book out into the world and thus began this relationship and we just started reading yet to be published books. How can we get attention around especially literary fiction which right. is my favorite. Mm -hmm. So we spent years with she created a book club and we all met and it was the greatest thing in the world and then I would say two years into this book club she said would you ever like to publish and mm -hmm. I was like I can't I don't know how but she walked me through the process and had this incredible experience publishing and then she you know moved on and started her own imprint and once again asked me to come along which was a thrill and we began the search for great new books mm -hmm. by important incredible authors. That's it. <laughs> How many books do you think you want to do a year? I think we want to do about four or five a year, yeah. right? Molly's back there. Five? Forty-three to four. Well, I guess okay. I want to do five. <laughs> I want to do five. She wants to do three down. to four. <laughs> it's a good range. We'll it's a really it. good window. I'll do what Molly says. Is, is <laughs> it's a good... No, no, okay. no. Okay. Can't overpublish. <laughs> We had a couple of folks, too, in the audience, both through Eventbrite and Index Card, 
asked, though, about how we get people to read. In some cases, it's someone asking very specifically about younger folks in their orbit, and someone else asking about professionals making time to read. Now, some of us just do it because, hi, build our lives around it. But it is a real challenge for some folks. It is a genuine challenge. And Alicia, you teach writing, and I know you just said read everything, which really, just read everything you can yeah. get your hands on. But reading is kind of a discipline. You kind of have to practice. So I'm wondering if you guys have any ideas or suggestions for folks who are looking for a little bit of help on that front. Well, I think maybe people think there are rules about reading, and if you're out of the habit or haven't developed the habit, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like people's like I I I can't I can't pick the wine I don't know anything about it there's too many yeah. rules, and I think the thing about the gateway in is if you're wanting somebody to read because you know the pleasure it gives you and they just mm -hmm. haven't found their way in really listen to what who they are and yep. what they like and don't try to impress your own tastes more mm -hmm. so consider lots of things and like you said sometimes it's a graphic novel sometimes it's nonfiction which is which doesn't ask always the same of a reader. Mm -hmm. um, and often it's your favorite book. Often right. it's just saying, I know you don't read, but this book is not a chore. And it's going to be easy. You just need to take the time or grab it. Mm -hmm. And if someone says, I don't have time, you can say, like, are you ever waiting for a meeting to start? Or do you ever wait to pick up your kid? Or are you ever bored and don't want to look at your phone for 20 minutes? Mm -hmm. Or I mean, there's lots of ways you can suss it out. I think just don't give up on people because there's just too many stories of those who mm -hmm. came back or started. Right. It's kind of nice to remember that books give you a very specific um, entertainment or intellectual experience. Mm -hmm. And it's not always just about kind of passively enjoying something right. like scrolling through your phone or watching <laughs> a show, which provides a very different and enjoyable um, mm -hmm. experience. But... You know, books offer something other than just just yeah. that, right? So, so thinking about what you want to get out of that mm -hmm. reading experience and and how it would be different, I think, would really also help you pick a book, right? Yeah. You're not always looking for exactly what you would look for from a show or a movie. That emotional terrain is really important. Yeah. It's really, really important, and I think. For a lot of folks, I mean, that's one of the reasons why not everyone loves short stories the way some of us do, because the yeah. terrain changes with every story, right? That's the mm -hmm. whole point. But every now and again, you get like a collection that's so unified and it's so, and it's just like, oh, right, I get to sit in this space and I get to experience things that I might not otherwise ever take part in, right? Mm -hmm. I want to step back for a second and go back to you guys as readers, the two of you. Who are some of the sort of great names that you find yourself turning back to again and again kind of thing? Like the, the folks that are really, and maybe they're not the Pulitzers or the Nobels. I'm just saying the, the names for you that you just sort of say, oh, you know what? I'd like to go revisit that. I'd like to go hang out with that person again. Oh, man. Um, authors that I, I revisit books a lot. Mm -hmm. I didn't used to, but I think it's a really great way to mm -hmm. kind of get back into the mindset, to get excited about writing again yep. when I'm not feeling it. Chang Rae Lee is someone that I really admire. Mm -hmm. um, Titi Dangaremga, uh, Edna O'Brien, Iris Murdoch. Those are kind of my heavy hitters I kind of return to. And, and I don't even read the whole thing sometimes. I just like, right. I just want to get back in with them, you know, with that voice that's so 
particular and, and such a pleasure to revisit, mm -hmm. kind of like a friend. Uh, wait a minute. Don't roll your eyes at yourself. That is not, that is a totally and legitimate reason to pick friend. up a book. <laughs> and that's a totally legitimate reason yes. to pick up a book. SJ? Um, I'm very bad at this. I, I told Alicia this, like, I never read a book twice. Ever. Oh, wow. Okay. Ever. That's fair. And no, I, no, that's I fair. think it's because, especially the books that I love, and I, I love books, there's something about reading a book for the first time and having that experience, and mm -hmm. I don't want to touch it. Yeah, I got it. And I told, I think I've told Alicia, and I've, we have another author, and it's highly irregular. I've read this book almost three times now, mm -hmm. and every time has been, like, I, I, I've stopped and told people, like, I... I just can't tell you how much I love this book, and I've been—I'm in it, and I've read it already, and you know, and that's really unusual yeah. for me. So I don't tend to go back. Mm -hmm. I will say the one person, and maybe it's just because so many decades had existed between the first time I read it and reading again. I did read all of Salinger again, and I think that's because there was a time where. We started really young reading Salinger, yeah. maybe too young mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. and especially Raise High the Roof Beam, which yep. is a really, really hard book. And I just decided, you know, I have this idea about Salinger, I have this whole idea about mm -hmm. Holden Caulfield and, you know, the nine short stories, especially Raise High the Roof yep. Beam. And I was pretty much wrong about all of it. You know, mm -hmm. reading it that in seventh and eighth grade is. Right. And so I have reread all that, and that was a absolute pleasure and a complete surprise and um, much harder than I thought yeah. sometimes but I really like a book one time <laughs> no I absolutely I get that I can absolutely say that there are times too where I've gone back to reread something and it was really meant to be experienced when I was 18 yeah and that was good yeah and that was good and I have not too. been 18 There's in a minute so there are times where it's like oh yeah I and you recognize exactly why you fell in love with the thing uh -huh. and then you just put it back on the shelf there's some books you're hand afraid it off to, to someone read else, it right yeah they're just there there's some things but that is I mean we are the luckiest women in the world we get to live this every single day you Reading. know yeah I get it Reading. Eleanor was a little slippery. I'm glad you figured her out. I'm glad you had the right team behind you. Before I let you guys go, though, I do have one question about Eleanor that I really sort of specifically wanted to save until the end because our girl makes some bad decisions. She makes some spectacularly bad decisions. I mean, really. You guys are in for a treat. Like, this girl is a mess. And I say that with love, but she's a mess. But she's But not, it's the it's, grief. Not, like, I want to be make sure... She is a mess, but she's not, I don't think of her as like recklessly a mess. No, she's, know, yes, she's, that is absolutely true. She is not reckless. She's, she's yes. legitimately at sixes and sevens, yeah. you know, so. But it's the grief, isn't sense? it? Yeah, it totally does. But isn't it the grief? I mean, it's really the grief. Like, part of me just wants to know if Eleanor's okay. Do we think she's okay now? <gasps> oh. Good question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I need to know. I don't know if she's... I think she's okay. We've yeah. talked about this as well. I think she's okay. You know, we're all okay. We'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has to face a lot. Yeah. She's really not equipped to do that uh, as mm -hmm. of yet. But um, she's young. Mm -hmm. She's young. 
you know, in age, but also emotionally, she's yeah. very young. I think grief is definitely a part of that, right. but so is, I mean, it's so baked into who she is that she would, that she would, that she would kind of be so slippery and yeah. that she would not be able to face whatever it is mm -hmm. that would help her come of age, right? I think that's her biggest block. So yeah, I, she's okay. Yeah. She's, I really do think she's, I genuinely think she's okay. I do too. I think she really, I think she's going to figure it, maybe not by the very, I, but I think somewhere in an alternate universe, Eleanor is just fine. Well, there's a thing that happens, now maybe I'm reading into it too much, because I care so much about her and I mm -hmm. want her to be okay. There's this moment at the end of the book, and to me, because of a choice she makes, an observation and a choice, I think, I think it means she's okay. Yeah. I think it suggests a kind of maturity, mm -hmm. a kind of lack of irrationality that we might have seen earlier in her life yeah. as we've known her, as we've been mm -hmm. invited in. So to me, I think that means she's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here you go. You got three opinions. Right. And now you guys get to have your book signed, and then you get to go home and read a very, very great novel by Alicia Chang. Thank you so much for joining us. Alicia Chang, Sarah Jessica Parker, you guys were fun. Thank you. And you can find this episode of Port Over later in June. Later in June will be up. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Port Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, Please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.